Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from a mix of experienced medical device and medtech experts. These proven mentors will show you how to master the medtech space on your own terms without going to school. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. The lean startup movement has become increasingly popular within the tech community after the release of Eric Ries's book in 2011. Although I personally believe the lean startup methodology is brilliant, some aspects are difficult to apply to the med tech space. For example, it costs significantly less money to iterate on a software idea in comparison to a medical device prototype. However, medical device models could be a potential solution to this challenge. They are not nearly as expensive as you would think, and it's much more efficient to make changes to a model versus an actual prototype. In this interview with Allison Ray, Principal at Pulse Research and Development, we learn how to best utilize models throughout the entire medical device lifecycle from concept to commercialization. Here, here are the few points we're going to cover. How medical device models can help juice the R&D development cycle. The benefits of using medical device models for physician training and education. The Play-Doh effect, using medical device models to create strong brands and memories. Why rapid prototyping and avoiding surprises are incredibly important concepts to master. And can medical device models be a key differentiator in the sales process? Of course, we're going to cover a lot more in this interview with Allison. But before we dig in, you need to listen to these brief two messages. Job leads, opportunities to network, access to specialized groups, meaningful discussion and debate. Sound interesting? Then you should check out the medical devices group on LinkedIn. It's the industry's only spam-free, curated forum for intelligent conversations with medical device thought leaders. Not only that, but it's the single largest medical group on all of LinkedIn. Medical device professionals worldwide are invited to join the medical devices group to help build their personal and corporate brands. Check it out, medicaldevicesgroup.net. Again, that's medicaldevicesgroup.net. As a reminder, MedSider is on iTunes. Just go to medsider.com forward slash iTunes and you could subscribe to the podcast for free. That way all the new episodes will automatically download to your iTunes account. It's super easy. Also, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate it. That really helps us out. Okay, for you ambitious med tech and medical device doers, here's your program. Hello, hello everyone. It's Scott Nelson and welcome to another edition of MedSider, the program where you can learn from proven and experienced medical device and med tech Thought leaders. And on today's program, we've got Allison Ray, who is the principal slash chief creative officer at Pulse Research and Development. Allison is an industrial designer by trade. And what is Pulse R&D? Uh, Pulse R&D is a team of highly specialized individuals who are experts in the development and manufacturing of medical devices. They have a specific expertise in product pipeline development, IP-driven design solutions, custom soft tissue anatomical model development. That's a really long <laughs> phrase there. Voice of customer research, ergonomic design, product and manufacturing engineering, and custom 3D marketing models. That's a lot. We're definitely not going to talk about all of that. But the thesis for this particular interview is going to be this, that medical device models, anatomical models, etc., are highly underutilized throughout the entire life cycle of a medical device from initial concept to commercialization. So that's the thesis of this interview. So without further ado, welcome to the program, Allison. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you for having me. 
So did I get that introduction right regarding what is Pulse Research and Development or Pulse R&D? Yes, you did. The, um, the, the, certainly the focus of the company is the, is the anatomy models or, and marketing models used for research and development, uh, professional education, and sales and marketing. The other parts of what we do are we are uh, initially, um, and, and through our history, medical device development group. So we are used to doing the actual devices themselves. So we understand uh, the product development cycle, and we're basically just applying those same skill sets to actually helping sell the devices. Got it. Got it. So we can, we can, you know, we can also happily do the devices, but to me, uh, there's more uh, creative opportunity in helping people uh, sell their devices than making the devices themselves, especially given that I've been a salesperson for 20-some years. Got it. So you can, you can understand what sales folks go through on a, on a day-in and day-out day day basis. So, um, I very, very good. So, but, but as I just mentioned, we're going to focus in on medical device models, anatomical models, et cetera, and the fact that they are highly underutilized. Um, and I'm going to start, let's start out with a quote because I know um, this, is, uh, this is rather interesting and it, and it, and it, tells, a, it tells a good story. But this is a quote from, uh, I believe, a customer of yours, Logic, and, uh, and it states, the model has um, accomplished what we had hoped and more. It has helped us to gain a competitive advantage in the realm of safety for patients. Clearly, when patients are exposed to the model, they pick out our soft silicone piece in comparison to the large metal coil every time. So that's an interesting quote. It sets the stage for the rest of the interview. But can you maybe speak to that particular uh, model that you helped uh, help develop? Sure. Uh, the, the project was for permanent contraception for Hologics. And they were introducing a product that's a uh, little foamed silicone implant, maybe uh, you know a third the size of a grain of rice. And uh, they use a little bipolar energy to disrupt the surface of the fallopian tube. And they put this soft foamed um, silicone implant, and the tissue grows in, and it's uh, comfortable and inert. Um, but their competitor uh, was making a large coil spring, maybe an inch, inch and a half long, that is uh, sharp on both sides, and it's made out of metal that has some nickel in it. Um, and what that does is not only is it scary looking, but it, it produces an inflammatory response for the rest of the patient's um, life. And so um, when they posed that scenario to me, um, I came up with a bunch of concepts on how I can tell that story um, with a model and uh, allow the uh, the end user or the physician to come to their own conclusion. Um, that's one of the beauties about these models is that they're designed to uh, produce a, a specific experience that, uh, that the customer comes to on their own, and they don't necessarily need to trust the word of their salesperson. So, you know, the joke on this particular product is that you could have a sales force of monkeys and it's still going to sell because once you see the comparison. So uh, the model that we made has the has a replica of the competitor's device in on the right fallopian tube, and on the left fallopian tube, there's a replica of their device. And you know, you, there's a, a lid you can take off and feel the softness of the one, and 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 see you know and feel the the hard metal of the other. Um, but even just looking at it, you can see 
uh, that there's very there's no earthlings that would choose the metal coil over the foam silicone implant. Right. Right, and, and 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 we're and we're living in in sort of an era where uh, where apps are all the rage, and most of the focus is on app development. But in my particular experience, and I imagine you can you can probably relate to this, that a model is um, is often much more valuable in the field in terms of in terms of telling telling that story, whether it's to an actual physician that's going to implant or utilize the device, or even when a physician explains the particular procedure or the particular device. To a to a, a, a potential patient that that is uh, is considering the the surgery or the uh, or the or the procedure. So um, I that's I, I think that's a that's a great story to to, to start out with. But um, let we're, we're going to definitely get into where where models or where where device companies and med tech companies are missing the boat in terms of utilizing models and sales and marketing. But let's start out with with R and D because I think this is an this is an interesting sort of subtopic. Um, we're the the headwinds that face the medical device industry are pretty strong right now in terms of long longer regulatory time frame time frames more expensive regulatory time frames et cetera so it's becoming really really important for early stage startups to um, to really make sure that their their potential or their idea for a device um, what that there's a market for it that it's going to work et cetera and Maybe you can explain um, where model or device models can come into play in terms of um, um, generating interest and exposing a potential um, idea uh, to the marketplace before uh, an actual prototype is developed. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you can imagine, you know, being a medical device engineer and you've got, let's say, some sort of catheter that you want to test how it steers and, and progresses through uh, the vascular system, um, and you have your initial model that's made out of some rapid prototypes and some paper clips and some duct tape, you know, mm-hmm. the very first germ of a model, um, it would be great if you had, you know, the, the, uh, the vessels of the, of the right arm in your drawer, you know, yeah. just to... You know, just to play with it, or you're, if you're, you know, practicing the extraction of stones from, you know, a kidney, and you had, you know, a, uh, a model that you could test and, and just, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, validating the, the final design. I'm talking about just your first sweep and your general, um, testing to see. It's, it's not so much, a a proof of concept of the of the device, but more of the engineering. You know, there's sort of two proofs of concepts. One is that does does your is the engineering going to work? Like, you know, there's 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 the outcome that you want to produce with your device, yep. but there's also did the engineering that I did to come to that outcome. Is it going to work? Are the linkages going to work? Is the steering going to work? Are, this, are they the right gears? You know, whatever your story is. And so what you can do is if you have a model, um, you can try those concepts out much earlier in the development cycle than you could if you had to go into an animal, which requires that you have something better thought out that you can then, you know, justify to your internal review board that it's, um, you know, that it's worth going into a model. So instead of making dramatic learning in in, a, in an animal or a cadaver, perhaps you could, um, you know, let some of those uh, weaker ideas fall away much much earlier. 
Yeah, no, 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 exactly. And and just so I understand that right, I, I think it's it's really interesting that you mentioned there's kind of two proofs of concept. One is, does this, are physicians going to want this device? Is there a market for it? Um, what it, what does the landscape look like in terms of competition, et cetera? And then the other proof of concept that that um, that you just mentioned is, is, does the engineering work? Um, can can these, for, for in layman's terms, or for lack of a better description, will these pieces fit together, and, and can this be built out at a at a at a relatively um, um, non costly uh, fashion? So does, right, that, does that make right. sense? I, my understanding those, those yeah two? yeah okay. my, yeah my my you know our, my background um, wasn't you know I didn't start in the medical field and I remember my first programs where I was quoting a proof of concept model, you know to us you know in, in to designers and engineers at least outside the medical industry a proof of concept model is does it the model work mm-hmm. <laughs> you know when you press the button does the outcome happen the way you want it to but for the, you know, these initial projects, people ask for a proof of concept and they want to know, does it steer in the vessel properly? Does it cut an ablate tissue, you know, you know, to the same effect? And so, you know, one of the nice things about being around for a long time is you have all kinds of great opportunities to make a lot of mistakes. (laughs) So you know, you know, what not to do and what to do and, and differentiating the two different kinds of proof of concept models was uh, something I learned pretty early on. Got it. Got it. And, and in your experience, Allison, is um, are most R and D folks are they utilizing models up front, uh, or, or like in in this sort of uh, idea stage? Um, I, I don't. I, I think that there is um, that there's some people that do. Um, certainly, R and D people understand the merits better because they are by nature more creative and trying to find solutions. And you know, you, you can see them trying all different kinds of things. Uh, you, you see them cobbling up their own uh, fixtures and things. But that's not what they're supposed to. That's not what they're charged to do. What they're charged to do is do the device, and it, it becomes all these sort of sub projects that distract from from the main program. So I think that. Um, more than professional education or sales and marketing, the R&D people sort of get it, the benefit of a model more so, but I think that um, that there needs to be a much greater awareness to the amount of money that you can save by doing that so that there is a budget to go outside to actually getting them done. Right. Right. No, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. And then the other point you mentioned, too, is just this, the... Uh, uh, the inconsistency of animal labs and whether or not your your early or your your idea for this particular device is actually going to going to work is often tested in animal labs, which which uh, there's some inconsistency there. Can you right? You to- can make you can engineer the model, you know, mostly because the materials are limited. <laughs> right. Uh, but the processes that you use to make make them are going to yield the exact same model every single time. Whereas if you have you know. Uh, you know, eight different porcine, you know, um, models or uh, animals, then you're going to get different uh, feedback. The, the, t- the tissue properties will be different on each one, and it can cause unwanted variables. You know, eventually you have to address that, but early on, and you're, just, if you're trying to eliminate, you know, you're more like a scientific method. You try to... Uh, eliminate the variables except for the one thing that you're studying. And so it can be beneficial for that purpose as well. Got it. 
Got it. And and I I think there's probably a decent percentage of uh, of the uh, of the audience that's listening to this interview uh, that will be familiar with kind of the lean startup methodology. And I know Eric Reese um, authored a book recently, maybe a year ago or so, something like that. But it, it's 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 specific to the tech world, and it's a lot easier to to iterate quickly uh, when you can really just build out a web page and and within you know a half a day's work you know you can iterate on that 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 model um, design it differently code it differently but that's much more that's that's a much more difficult task when you're actually developing an actual product to, to iterate quickly and it would seem that models um, would would be not only a, a faster way to iterate quickly quicker I should say but uh, but definitely a less expensive way <laughs> to iterate yeah, on your you know, I have, idea. I have 20 years in in the prototyping industry and you know, just even for a moment, putting the anatomy models aside, every time you make a prototype, you'll learn something. And so the more prototypes you learn, you can sort of, you know, juice the development cycle and make it go faster by making more prototypes. You, your, your learning is exponential. Yeah. So, you know, prototype early, prototype often is one of the adages, you know, I, I, I believe for a, you know, quick accelerated, um, development cycle for the devices themselves and certainly having something to test them on that's really convenient that you don't have to schedule ahead of time and it doesn't require lab technicians just makes the, uh, the process much more easy and convenient. Right. I love, I love that quote, juice the development cycle through, uh, <laughs> through the idea of prototype, early prototype often. That's a, no, that's a great, that's a great statement. Um, so let's, let's move on to, uh, to education because um, I know from, from my particular experience, when going to you know HCP or physician training courses, I often leave there thinking that model that was used, if I could only utilize that in the field, or if I could only like steal that and take it with me, you know, my sales would would um, would definitely increase, if not go through the roof, because um, it, it it's it's not only a clear way to differentiate, you know, uh, uh, my particular device from the competition, but it, it's uh, it's a great way to add some add some value to uh, to a physician. So maybe you can speak to that. Where um, where in your experience, medical device or medical device models are are both used and underused in terms of in terms of professional education. Sure. Um, well, I can talk a little bit about a specific um, program that we're um, in the middle of or toward the end of um, for. A professional education program. It's a um, it's insufflatable laparoscopic trainer for um, hernia repair. And the way you know, one my client was kind enough to invite me to one of their training sessions for the physicians. And uh, again, it was a um, a lecture from the physician, and then you know, a porcine lab. And uh, on that particular occasion, they weren't using our models. That is a big, cumbersome program to invite um, surgeons in to train them, and having um, having you know set up the whole lab, you know the, the cost of the lab and and the cost of the animals, and everybody has to take a day off and travel from wherever they're coming from. So it's a it's a, it's extremely inconvenient. And costly. Obviously, the benefit is that it's real tissue. Um, sometimes the drawback is that yes, it's real tissue, but the geometry or the anatomy is completely different. So uh, sometimes an, a model is is required. Um, but the 
the uh, what they're do- doing with my model is that they can take this inflatable trainer on the road and and help the and do the training um, more conveniently even in a physician's office. Um, Got it. I asked them what they would need in order to stop doing the porcine labs completely and just use our model. And what they wanted is that they want their their tech to seat properly um, in in the tissue, in the uh, consumable part of the product, which is something that we've just uh, um, accomplished. So my hope is that they can eliminate the labs completely, which is a tremendous cost savings both in the cost of the lab and then the cost of the time for the physicians and the logistical difficulties of flying people around and having them stay overnight. Got it. No, that, that, makes, so, uh, that makes a ton of sense, especially considering um, you know, me- most medical device companies are, are operating on, on, rather, uh, are on, sl- on margins that are shrinking and shrinking by the day. And so um, if, you can, if you can pursue or even consider um, you know, alternatives to physician, physician training outside of expensive uh, you know, cadaver lab environment, I got to think that that's definitely worth it. Yeah, you know, I, I have all kinds of, you know, um, ideas on, on, on how that could be. You could even, you know, given, given the type of model it is, the, the insufflatable laparoscopic trainer is, is, is big and, and not, you know, it's not really an inexpensive model. But if it was a procedure that um, could be accommodated by a smaller model, you can send those models out to your physicians and have them practice in the comfort of their own office or homes, mm-hmm. you know, without anybody looking over their shoulder until they, they were comfortable. You know, the, the process of learning, you know, is, is to me pretty interesting. And, yeah. and for me personally, there's, there's usually that period of frustration where I don't get it yet, but I want to, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I'd, I'd rather experience that on my own <laughs> as opposed to in front of a whole bunch of other people that are watching me fumble around. So to me, you know, if there's an opportunity to make those training models in some sort of quantity that you could then send out and give those physicians their own personal time to uh, work through the procedure, I think that would be a, a great idea. That, that's a fantastic point. I'm glad you brought that up um, because I've, I've been to those sort of training experiences where physicians are hesitant to engage in the actual hands-on component because they're around their peers. They don't want to look like the you know, the idiot doctor that finished last in his particular, you know, medical school class. And there is, there's a legitimate exactly. hesitation versus I, I, I would, I would venture to think that you give them, you give that model or that hands-on sort of um, experience that physician on his or her own time, it's going to be, you know, a lot more valuable for both the physician and the, and the company that's providing the, uh, providing the, uh, the education. And I think your, uh, your, your dog probably agrees with me there. It sounds like, right? Yeah. My, my, <laughs> yeah. He, that's, he's, he feels very strongly about that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, but that, that's a fantastic point. Um, and it, and it, um, one that I really didn't think about, but I'm, I'm just kind of realizing now as we're, as we're conversing that, that, that makes a ton of sense. Yep. Um, Beyond that, though, um, I mentioned this earlier on in the interview, um, that apps, um, there's a lot, there's an intense focus, a lot of focus um, across the board, whether, whether the medical device company is a startup versus a large strategic, there's a lot of focus on app development and utilizing, you know, iPads to, um, you know, as demos or, or, um, or models for your particular device. Um, but in my experience, um, and again, it, this is this is kind of through my own lens. A lot of physicians would prefer 
prefer the hands-on component. Uh, and maybe you can speak to that. Yeah, um, you know, we do apps as well. As a matter of fact, my next appointment this afternoon is with a company that has an app, and there's, and there's certain advantages to being able to do an animation. But if there's an opportunity to make a model where you're engaging somebody in a physical experience, it's always a more compelling um, learning experience. Uh, the more senses that you engage, you know, sight and hearing, you know, the better. And then if you can then additionally engage touch and create a real experience, not just a intellectual experience, but a, a physical experience, it's that's really unparalleled. You know, I have a, a corny saying that um, that I've put at the bottom of all my emails, and I think I even have it on my website. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a model is worth a million. Also, by nature, surgeons are hands-on people, you know, and that's something that they relate with, you know. In, in, in some cases, you know, from my point of view, they're expert craftspeople, and and touch is part of what they do and the way they think. So I think a model is even even more apropos for an audience like that. Right. So and you, so, but with that said, though, I think the the uh, the drawback, the potential challenge of that is is if I develop, it, um, it's going to cost me a lot less money to develop an app for the iOS. Uh, or, or Android, but I think most of the focus is on iOS right not now. Not necessarily. No? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, you, first of all, you can spend lots and lots of money on an app, but the app program that I just did for the client, um, you know, I think it was, you know, $30,000, $40,000 to do this app. I can't remember how long it lasted, but there's animations and, you know, there's all different levels of sophistication. But I've done uh, model programs for less money than that. So it doesn't okay. necessarily um, have to do with price. Um, I'm by nature, personally, like to boil things down to the absolute essence and the least amount of fanfare you need to get your message across. Um, people don't have a lot of time, and the more complicated you make it, um, I think the more confusing and the more expense. So um, although it's never specifically a criteria for my clients, one of my criteria is that it's as simple and as easy uh, to understand and, and to make as possible and thus keeping the cost down. Uh, that, that, that's interesting, and, and now's a good time to kind of interject this question, and um, it's, it's actually a question that I got in advance of the, of the interview from the audience. And for those of you listening, if you, do want to, uh, if you do want to submit a question in advance of the interview, just go to medsider.com forward slash on deck, or just go to medsider.com, and there's a tab for on deck. There's the on deck circle where, uh, where the... Um, uh, the next MedSider guest, uh, there's, a, there's a chance where you can, there's an opportunity to submit questions in advance. But this particular question from the audience is, is what does a typical uh, model cost, a medical device model? And I, I presume it's all over the board, but maybe if you can give, it, give us some sort of an idea of what, what it costs. Yeah, typical isn't, you know, it, it's, you know, it's funny. <laughs> there, there does actually, there is some sort of typical. And, but uh, there's sort of two categories of these models. One is something that I would consider production, which would be 1,000 or three, preferably 3,000 or more, which is more of a marketing model. Mm -hmm. If you go into a quantity like that, then I can buy real tooling and use regular production methods to make it. And so the upfront cost might be more, but for instance, you know, um, the Alcon project that we did was uh, $20 a piece that there was, they ordered 3,000 units. I think that the um, Hologic 
one, they ordered like 14,000 units. Um, and I think the price was somewhere around $15 each. Um, so if, no if you're ordering so, a quantity... So, I mean, granted, those are large quantities, but that's shockingly low. I would have expected the, the price to be a lot higher than that. Well, you know, my background is product development, mm -hmm. and I think that some people that do work in this space are more advertising and are used to working with pharma people yeah. and they have a much greater expectation of how much money they can make from each project. You know, my paradigm is, you know, R and D always has less money than, than sales and marketing. And, and, uh, but I'm used to, and I also, uh, I should mention me and my team were, we're from the, really, uh, our backgrounds are from the toy industry. So we understand how to cost reduce and do things that, cheaply in a way that medical people never can even consider. And so uh, the cost to me is primary. It, it's, it's, you know what, it, it's, the, it's the number one criteria as far as I'm concerned. That's the hardest to meet. So when people call and say, oh, you know, uh, I don't have a budget, just tell me how much it is, that's like me, you know, asking an architect to, can you put me an addition, but I don't have any plan at all. So... You know, you could you could build an addition for five thousand dollars, and you could build an addition for five million dollars. You know, the budget is the number one criteria yeah. that is the hardest one to meet. And I, I let's not try to guess at that. You know, um, some people have zero idea, which I could sort of understand. I mean, there's certain industries that if I asked for a quote, I wouldn't even know what budget to plan. But if with a little bit of dialogue, I'm you know we we can sort of work that stuff out. But, but in the absence of a budget, I usually I'm happy to give them a quote, but I would always default to the the best, the the most comprehensive best case model yep. with the with the with the um, agreement that the client will not run away screaming, but then talk to me about what the compromises could be now that they sort of get a feeling for what the price would be for the optimal scenario. And as long as they're you know willing to work with me once they see that price. Um, and we can sort of back down from that. I'm I'm always happy to give them a quote. Got it. Yeah, but I'm I'm and and I I certainly don't expect you to say you know each model is going to cost approximately one hundred dollars. But that that's really interesting that you mentioned the cost can be as low because I I sort of like without knowing anything about what what it, what it, what developing a model entails, somewhat expected it to be like at least a couple hundred bucks, if not like approaching a thousand dollars to so, develop a. So there's so. So I started off with two, there's two, two basic scenarios. One is the 1,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, and that allows us to make production tooling yeah. and, and keep the cost down. Um, a lot of people need 25 or 50, and what that means is that we're making it a prototyping technologies, uh. which are closer to what you're thinking, and that is absolutely correct. Um, so, you know, we just did a, a project for a division of Angiotech, and each model was a few hundred dollars because they're only ordering 25 or 50 at a time. And they're made out of prototyping materials. They're, they're, these particular models have a flesh-like feeling to them, and, um, and we're using prototyping methods to achieve that. Um, and the cost for those is higher. And certainly for the professional education model, so far the programs we've done haven't, you know, haven't exceeded you know, more than a dozen or or twenty, and again, those are, um, you know, much more money. You know, the insufflatable laparoscopic trainer that comes with, you know, 
the camera and the scope and the light and the display and the pump and a case and a, and a you know you know that's a ten thousand dollar right each with a with you know a hundred hundred and fifty thousand dollar uh upfront r and d cost so depending on what you're trying to do you know depends on the cost but for the marketing models as long as you say you can use you know we we prefer three thousand but we could do one thousand as long as you're coming with with a larger quantity then it's a whole different um ball game when it comes to the to the price got it and so so basically the, the moral of the story is that if you if you're a medical device company you're contemplating having models uh built and and developed if you have intention of potentially using this as a sales and marketing tool you know your your cost could be you know a lot lower than than you may you may initially expect right and yeah. and one of the you know i have a, what i call my you know anatomy questionnaire or spec sheet and what that does is it allows it, it, it's all the questions that I want to know in order to give you the value add. You know, I don't want com- somebody coming to me and say, can you make me this uterus? You yeah. know, I want to find out what is their business objective and the bigger picture of what, what they're trying to communicate. And then I'll give them the concepts. That's the value add we have is we give them the concepts on how to, how to do that. And one of the questions on that form is, are there any other departments besides your own that can benefit from a model like this? Because, then a you could get perhaps more than one budget, and you know yep. to use a completely contrived yeah. saying you can kill two birds with one stone. Um, and sometimes you know if you involve another department, the feature that they want to add might not drive the cost up at all. Um, so it's always good to try to look at the big picture initially. I might say you know what that that actually makes it exponentially more money, but it might not. And it's always good to look at it ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's those are, those are some great points, and I love the fact that you brought up your 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 personal background as well as the uh, you know the, the rest of your team and, and their 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 uh, corresponding backgrounds. Um, and in in regards to um, toy manufacturing or toy toy development, and that allows you to sort of scale models at at potentially reduced reduced cost because of that experience. That's really interesting because I, I noticed that in doing research for this interview, you you you. Tyco Toys was listed as as one of your yes. your old companies. I thought that's interesting, yes. but uh, it certainly comes yeah. comes into play um, um, now that you mentioned the uh, the idea of reducing reducing the cost of development because of that background. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's move on from because uh, I know we're running a little short on time here, but let's move on to sales and marketing. And we've we've of course kind of covered some of these points, but. Um, but I would I would imagine that you've you know you've worked with a and I mentioned that quote from Hologix, um early you know when we first started the interview but uh, building out models um, hands on models for device companies can make a a huge impact in terms of sales and marketing and I think one of the um, one of the I think it's maybe on your website or maybe on a, on a, one of your marketing pieces you mentioned the play doh effect and being being able to create you know strong brands and memories. Um, via right. that that effect, and I think that's interesting. So maybe we can start there um, with the with the Plato effect and get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, if if you're touching it, you're you're creating experience, mm-hmm. and you don't necess- Then you don't, you know, you're creating your own experience, and you can come to your own conclusions, and you do not need to trust the the word of your salesperson. Mm-hmm. To me, it's sort of a n- nice way to 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 not so much worry about the soft skills of your sales force right. if, if, if your product is just so loudly speaking for itself, um, perhaps it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessitate 
as strong emphasis on the relationship between the person and the and the uh, and the end user. You know, it allows the marketing team to engineer that that interaction uh, better. Right. Yeah, and, and you mentioned this earlier regarding kind of the, the multi-sensory um, aspect of, of models, but you know, you know, while we're on the topic of kind of Play-Doh, I mean, you're utilizing a lot of different senses there, from touch to 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 vision to potentially, you know, the the auditory component as well. Um, there's there's a lot of senses there, which allows you to walk away, a potential a salesperson to walk away, or a marketing person at a trade show, for example, to walk, you know, to to make an impact on a a a, a current or potential physician customer where that you know when they leave when they leave the sales car or when they leave the the conference booth they're going to walk away like with a pretty strong memory um of, of that particular device and and maybe that particular right company. it's sort of like uh, back, back to the toy analogy um it's sort of like you know you go into the toy aisle and a lot of the toys have the try me button yeah. right you know, so you can let the product sell itself. You know, how many medical devices do you get sort of the opportunity for try me? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's sort of what we're trying to do is you get to try it on your own before you make the commitment to buy it. Yep, yep. And and speaking of try, um, I've, I've personally experienced this as well in that, um, um, you know, before walking into a case where a physician is going to use your particular device for the first time, um, Having some sort of model in place um, makes a, a a huge a huge impact uh, because that first case may be um, you may get one shot with that particular physician and if that case doesn't go well with your you know with your device it makes all the oh, difference right, in the right, world right. and so you know being able to have a model like a hands on model where that physician can sort of practice before they actually utilize it in an actual human um, mm-hmm. that that that's a huge that's a huge uh, you, a really big deal, really big deal. Yeah, and you, like I said before, you can engineer that experience. Mm-hmm. You know, between myself and the marketing team, they can engineer the 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 interaction, or and 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 we can plan the outcome. We can make sure <laughs> that the device works as in, you know intended, so that there's uh, there's less chance. You know, it, it it's almost it's not so much scripted but you're controlling the outcome if you create a little sort of a kit that that walks you through the procedure and it comes out the same every time at the end right which is with a big smile and hey that really works well you know you're, we're engineering experiences yeah. and engaging and engaging the customer yeah, I, I love that's that's another really good good quote. I think the the one earlier you mentioned is juice the development cycle. <laughs> this, that's another one right. to be able to engineer the experience or engineer the outcome. But no, it's a it's a it's right. a really good point. Exactly, um, especially when you're dealing with um, um, a wide variety of sales methods and sales methodologies. This allows you to really kind of um, sort of script out what that what that may look like for a potential customer. We we also have this idea, and you know. Um, we we haven't been at this a terribly long time, so uh, but so I haven't seen this in action yet. But I love the idea of you know let's say you're a startup and perhaps you don't have unlimited budget. Actually, nobody has an unlimited budget, um, and you have you know 400 thoracic surgeons that are your target audience, but you have a dozen salespeople. You know how are you going to reach that audience? Uh, in a meaningful way in the shortest period of time possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this idea 
you know, and I've yet to sort of convince anybody to do it yet um, because it's a newer idea, but maybe we make 400 models and we send and send them out to those 400 thoracic surgeons. And instead of getting a brochure where they're likely maybe to not open it or maybe open it and look at it for 20 seconds like I would somebody that sent me an email, um, you get a model in the mail, and that's kind of exciting. It's like a present. Yeah. And you're going to say, what, what is this? You're going to be curious. You're going to open it up. And there's going to be like a little, you know, maybe maybe it's like a little game or a little experience. I, I, I bet you that they're significantly more likely uh, to try your device and, and, and work with that model if, if you send it to them. And, and have them remember it, especially since it's going to sit on their desk afterwards because it's going to be really cool. Did I mention? It's going to look really cool. <laughs> and uh, and maybe they'll even play with it, you know, when, when they're on their phone. Um, but but you're delivering experience with no salesperson. Right. And so maybe, it co- maybe the cost of doing the program is that of um, hiring one salesperson for a year, but you're reaching 400 uh, people in your target target audience, or maybe three thousand, or you know, depending on how how big your market is. Right. No, that, that's a that's a that's a really interesting point. I think it's definitely worthy of consideration, considering how expensive it is to com- commercialize device these these days. But I, it reminds me of a story. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the technology Grasshopper dot com, which is it's like a um, it's like a it allows small businesses to get a one eight hundred number and kind of call system on the cheap for a relatively low monthly cost. But I know when they initially launched. To help create buzz uh, in in the media, they sent you know they 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 selected you know I can't remember exactly how many, but it was you know a couple hundred high profile journalists, and they sent I think chocolate covered like a, a whole a whole set of like chocolate covered grasshoppers, like edible chocolate covered grasshoppers, you know, in order to make right. an, an impression um, because they realized sending an email or sending some sort of, uh, you know, PR release to these high profile journalists wasn't going to get them anywhere. And I think your idea, you know, speaks to that, speaks to the idea of, of making any, making an impact to a rather, you know, a relatively select audience on the cheap, you know, or, you know, right. It makes an impact and it, and it's educational Mm -hmm. and it has your brand on it. And because it's educational, you know, you, you can actually, give that as way away whereas you know the FDA now does not allow you to give away sticky pads with your logo and all kinds of other gifts and mugs and stuff uh so this is actually a way to keep to 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 make an impact to have your brand in front of them to engineer a positive experience uh, and stretch your sales force and actually have it leave behind yep that's that's, so, that's, uh, that's maybe, a great idea maybe I'll get some you have, you have to let me know if you get a company to bite on that you have to let me know and I uh, I was going to say yeah um, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll make sure that get that that gets noticed if if a company does. I'll call you back. Does take, does take action on that? Yeah, because I think it's I personally think it's a it's a great one. Um, so let's do this. Let's uh, we're running short on time. Uh, we've covered R and D, professional education, uh, and, and sales and marketing, and, and how to how to better utilize uh, medical device models. Let's end it with this this question. You've you've got a Allison. You've got a ton of experience um, in in the world of medical devices from. From prototyping to, uh, to, to, mo- to 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 the development of models uh, and on and on, it, what what are what you know what's if you can think of one maybe one or two things that that you now know that you wish you knew you know ten fifteen twenty years ago when you first got started in this game. Wow, uh, I sort of touched on some of them. You know, like 
you know, prototyping early and often mm-hmm. and that, you know, and, and, you know, models, I am a, I'm a huge proponent of, of prototyping in general. I actually lecture on prototyping at, at Penn and MIT and, and most people think about prototyping and they start thinking about the technical part of, you know, rapid prototyping and SLA and all the processes. But prototypes are tools for for communication or, or learning and whether you're using them to develop the devices or to tell the story of how they work, um, you know, they, they, they tease that I was going to put on my business card Analog Allison, uh, I, you know, the idea of, of touch and, and creating experience as opposed to digital, you know, maybe I'm sort of going backwards, in, you know, in the technology age, or maybe, maybe that's what people really are, are hungering for now that everything is sort of virtual. Yeah. Um, um, and, um, so, that, that prototyping is, is something that I, I, don't, I think people should, <laughs> Should do more of and and early early on and more often for the device development. No, that's um, as far as 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 far as um, what I've learned, actually, I do have some things to tell you about what I've learned. But it's more because of the fact that I'm a salesperson, yeah. which I think is, is some of the value that I bring to the clients. Is I sort of have uh, two r- rules of, of of dealing with customers, and um, is one is absolutely no surprises you know people expect that there will be hiccups and things will go wrong but they don't want to be surprised by it so in order to have a program go smoothly i try to do the best i can to um set their expectations and let them know what the risks are and what the areas that were nervous or what the areas that could perhaps cost more money or cause a delay um even in the event that I don't have that completely worked out, you know, I, I've seen people, you know, they ship something and they hope that the client's going to like it when they know deep down inside there's a problem. You know, you just never want to surprise anybody. You always yeah. want to let them know. Um, so my number one rule is is uh, is no surprises and try to manage the expectations. Um, and as far as salespeople are concerned, really these models, are about convenience. You know, it's they're all about uh, having them be minimal and easy to carry around. I am completely and totally personally against schlepping anything. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the more samples I could take out of my case, the happier I am. And so when I design these models, I make them as, as uh, abbreviated as I could possibly get away with. Um, for One, for just the physical carrying around, and uh, and two that that helps uh, for cost. So there's some meandering um, things that I've learned. No, no, that's no, that's that's some great stuff. And I can definitely tell throughout our conversation that you've got you've got a sales and marketing background, not just in your not just from a creative standpoint, but you uh, you kind of know what it's like to to carry a bag and try to pitch uh, pitch uh, pitch a product. So um, no, that that's great that's great stuff. And for those that that are listening that have that have stuck with us throughout this you know thirty thirty five minutes here. Um, where where would you direct them to if they want to learn more about models, about Pulse R and D? Where's the best place that uh, for them to, to to get in touch with you or to learn more about your company? Well, you know, we our website is pulsernd.com. Um, Robert Nancy Drew R N D dot com. But the best way to do it 
is to call me up and tell me what is your key message. You don't need to know anything else. You don't, uh, you know, a lot of our clients, especially, you know, sales and marketing and professional education, they're not R&D people and they're not, um, they ha- require a different skill set than, than my team of creative people. And so the barrier to entry is that they don't have the vision of what could be. Mm-hmm. And so all they need to do is say, you know, I really need to get the message that my catheter steers better across or I really need to get the message that my, um, you know, heart ring is flexible in a different way than the competitors. Whatever that key strategic message is, that's all I need to know. And I've actually uh, contacted clients um, by reaching out to them, having them had never called me, where I just look at their website, I see what their product is, and I see what their key differentiator is, and I'll draw up a concept and send it to them, and they'll be like, wow. Hmm. You know, and, and so, um, you know, I don't need somebody to tell me what the model want, needs to be. I need them to tell me, and this is the same as I give for my lectures at um, at the colleges, is what do you want the model to, what do you want to accomplish? And how many do you want to make? And those, it, as long as I have, you know, and the budget would be great, but even without that, um, I can propose something and there is no cost to do that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great idea is what, what, start with the vision and what do you want, what message do you want to get across versus, you know, focusing too much on what the, what's this model going to look like and the, and the, uh, the, the details and going too far into weeds, but to, to really start from a kind of a 30,000 foot overview of, of what is this, what is the, the message that you're trying to communicate. Now, that, that, that's great stuff. So for those listening, PulseRD, P-U-L-S-E-R-N-D.com. Not, not R-N-D, but PulseRND.com. And then, Allison, what's, you want to go ahead and leave your phone number as well? Yes, it's um, 267-753-0871. And my extension is one zero zero four. Got it. And for those listening, I'll definitely link up in the show notes to Pulse R and D, and this number will be listed in the transcripts online at MedSider.com. So, uh, very good. Thanks a ton for uh, for doing the interview, Allison. Really appreciate you coming on. This was uh, this was really interesting. Uh, really interesting topic that could potentially have a have a really big impact uh, for a lot of different device companies. An impact that that may uh, uh, that may not have been uh, not, that, that that doesn't probably um, get as much attention as uh, as it as it potentially could be. So thanks thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. And I'll have you hold on the line here, Allison. But uh, for those listening, thank you uh, for your attention. Uh, throughout the course of this interview, really appreciate it. And um, and just remember, as a reminder, you can find these interviews on iTunes. Just do a search for Medsider, uh, M-E-D-S-I-D-E-R, and you can uh, subscribe to the podcast for free. Um, that way, all the new episodes are automatically uh, downloaded to your uh, your iTunes account or to your um, whatever whatever mechanism you use to subscribe to podcasts. So. Um, Anyway, uh, until the next episode of MedSider, everyone uh, take care.